Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of You Love to See It. I'm joined today with my friends, Eric Zhu. Hello. And my other friend, Caleb Brunman. Hello. How you guys doing today? Yes. You know what they say. Yes. <laughs> I heard it's raining a little bit there. Is that true? Uh, unfortunately. We had a lot of snow last weekend in this place. Is it snowing there? Not that they know where you're at. The audience won't be able to figure that out. They'll never know. It was um, snowing. We got about eight inches, I'd say. No way. Are you serious? Gone. The snow's gone. All of it. I don't believe. You really got eight inches there? Ephemeral. Poetic. Wow, that's kind of crazy. It's been snowing yeah. a lot here, too. It, it's been like negative. It was like negative 30 the other day of wind, because of the wind chill, too. So I'm Snow'd sure you guys are jealous. Snow's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, here we are back again with two uh, new films. Uh, both newly released, right? St. Ma- Maude is newly released as well, right? Just came out yeah. on... Uh, the only way to stream it, by the way, is I believe on Epix. Um, okay, remind me to cancel my feed. My feed. Yeah, I do the same thing. No, sorry, Epix. Um, Epix sponsor. They <laughs> <laughs> were about to cancel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, they have, they, have Son- they have Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> they do. Is that the only, that's the star movie on Epix. Uh, shout out to Epix. Um, well, either way, today we're going to be talking about St. Maud and then Judas and the Black Messiah. So uh, no intro questions today. We have much to discuss. Uh, we're all very passionate about these two films, I'm sure. Uh, so uh, let's get started with Eric as he introduces the new A24 movie. Saint Maud. Yeah, Saint Maud um, is sort of a delayed release at this point. It premiered in 2019 at Toronto, but uh, made quite a splash. And just this week was released, yeah, as you said earlier, by A24 on Epics. Let's go Epics. Uh, <laughs> um, the film is sort of along the tradition of the religious fanatic horror genre and um, primarily follows uh, actress Morphe Clark's titular Maude, who um, is sort of a caretaker. She used to be a nurse who has clearly undergone a traumatic incident at her previous job and is yeah. now um, taking care of a woman named Amanda, played by Jennifer Ale, who is uh, on the brink of death. Um, and since her traumatic event, Maud has really taken to religion. She's a new convert. And throughout the movie, she has this sense that if she essentially gives herself to God and um, inflicts like almost a repentant pain on herself, good things will happen to her. And the film follows this descent into madness. And it's like a Will, is she seeing the real, is she seeing reality? Is she crazy or is this 
is like what she's seeing truth um yeah, yeah well, I, also oh go ahead i don't know i was personally more mixed on the movie but i'm <laughs> i have i have read your review um I do think I have two things. First of all, I guess we should mention uh, this is first of all, what an amazing name for the director. Rose Glass is her name. Um, this is her directorial debut. Um, and yeah, I, I'm sure it's a very interesting film to have as your as your first film. I feel like Eric is in a different position than myself, maybe than Caleb. I don't know how much Caleb has seen. So when I was reading a couple of reviews, just, you know, to, to dip into the water a bit, you know, I don't like to take others ideas, but just to see what the, what the scope of the field is like, what'd you say? It's called crowdsourcing. <laughs> yeah. Crowdsourcing. It's all about that. You know, I can't have discussions with people here. I guess I can talk uh, to my girlfriend about the movie since she watched it with me, but uh, either way, I saw that David Ehrlich called it a somewhat cross between first reformed and the exorcist which again, two movies I have not seen. I know I have not seen The Exorcist. Uh, I, I honestly, I believe you guys know this. I don't watch much horror. So the whole religious horror, body horror, um, all that is very new to me, supernatural. The only bit of horror I've seen is, what'd you say? Be afraid, be very afraid. Be afraid. Um, but... Let me say this. Uh, I, I enjoyed this film. I'm going to start there. I think, uh, I'll be honest, it was very slow in the beginning. And I think you might have had some trouble with that, Eric, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, this, this movie definitely does not have, at least for me in the first half, a great pace to it. But I think it picks up in the second half where there is a couple really good scenes, minus maybe a really cheesy jump scare. Um, but the ending in particular, which we'll get to, um, I found disturbing, but I, I think it was both good, but at the same time, not fully, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it was not anticlimactic, but it like, by that point, there wasn't enough that I felt like it was the most like, oh yeah, like ending. Well, not that I'm supposed to feel that anyways, but do you know? Do you do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make yeah, sense, kind of? You would you like to elaborate? Like, what were the like big scenes for you in the second half that really made the movie? Yeah. Um, well, okay. By the way, the word I was looking for was payoff. I felt like there wasn't a big payoff, and I'll talk about that later because I think there's more that I wanted the f film to explore that it didn't. Um, but some of the payoff scenes for me were. Um, Specifically, I, I really liked the scene where she was uh, post the bar scene where she was in the room by herself. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the levitating aspects, um, but that made it I, there was a lot to me as I was I was debating this whole idea is what is what happened to her real or is it just in her imagination? I kind of settled on my own opinion, um, especially with the ending shot. I kind of definitely settled with a, an opinion. Um but I liked the moments where she was kind of by herself descending into a little bit of what I guess is called like what I guess is madness. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the um, crazy devil scene with Amanda for, I, I, I don't know. I, there's so much here to get to. I think there's a lot to discuss. Um, 
what what do you where do you want to start eric you uh, you you pick where we start let's start with um their relationship like what the relation the mm-hmm. central relationship of this movie regard is like essentially about Maud and Amanda. Maud is this um, young girl who is newly converted. She's very religious and she's very, um, at least I think in a, in a sense of like desperation stuck in, stuck in her ways. She's um, like, she's not very approving of Amanda's lifestyle, which is much more free-spirited as she's like a famed dancer and choreographer. Um, And their relationship seems to uh, change throughout the movie. Um, There's a bit where it seems like Amanda is uh, like, Amanda is warming up to her. She like gives her a book, like a religious book um, and says that like Maude is her savior, but at other times she like throwing parties she's telling her she's delusional and this is all sort of culminates at the very end where uh spoiler alert after Maude has left um the employment of Amanda she tries to return to Amanda's house to sort of save her one last time where Amanda sort of not really turns into the devil to say that Maude is delusional, which sort of kicks the movie's finale off. Oh. Um, yeah, I guess my question is, what did you think of those two's relationships since it's pretty much the entire first half of the movie? Yeah. Do you find it interesting enough? Like what? what- um, I guess I'll start by saying, yeah, let's look, let's look. I want to come back to that last scene, the more final, you know, scene later. Let's start with the beginning, the first half of the film and their relationship. Um, I didn't think there was a lot there. Like, I, I didn't feel like there was enough depth to the relationship. Um, it seemed pretty self-explanatory to me. Maude is someone who has been regretting this kind of you know, whatever traumatic happened, uh, trauma happened in her past, which we're kind of alluded is, is definitely alluded to not to mention her at one point, free spirit lifestyle, um, which, you know, we get in the middle of the movie where she has sex with the guy. She gives a guy a hand job in the like side of the bar, all, all that weird stuff where she's kind of like seeing how low she can dip. Um, I think there's a very big connection that Amanda is in some way, very similar to Maud, and Maud sees a lot of herself in Amanda in some in some way, at least how she used to be. And I think it's a little bit, at least what I got is a lot of her like trying to save her and a hatred towards her, I feel like stems from a lot of self-hatred and self, like a lot of distaste for her past. Was that kind of the vibe you picked up too? Or were you, were you seeing it more as just like she was trying to save this woman because of, you know, God? I mean, I definitely, she was obviously trying to do that, but I, I felt like there were some pretty easy comparisons to make between both, between Amanda and Maude. Yeah, I, I definitely did get a lot of what you're saying. I think for me, what defined their relationship, not, not defined, but the general sense I got from their relationship was that, at least to me, um, I was always personally more interested in, in Amanda than I was in Maude. Um, mm-hmm. Amanda just strikes me as a much more charismatic 
presence. Um, and I, 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 I think a lot of that stems from the fact that I think my primary issue with this movie is that from the very beginning, it essentially defines Maude as a religious fanatic and anything character-based. To me in this movie, essentially goes right back to either it's supernatural because she's crazy religious and crazy things are happening or because she's crazy in seeing things. So it, so it, in essence, a lot of the first half of the movie hinges on, for me, on Amanda um, being an interesting person to bounce off of um, Maude. But um, I do see what you're saying with Maude seeing herself in Amanda, but I, I guess for me, the first half is then also so subjective, as we later learn, uh, in its mm-hmm. imagery of Amanda, um, that it, yeah, it feels like there's not a lot there um, stemming from Maude. There's not a lot there. Um, and I think that's why their relationship was was pretty boring, not even necessarily because they're in interactions were boring though kind of but i think uh, um rose glass highlights the uh the least interesting parts of these characters i think the most interesting thing about amanda at the time uh, uh set in the movie is how she is facing her impending death and how you know how she feels about that, what uh, just her her reactions and her fear, and I don't think that is explored with any detail. There's one little monologue where she says like uh, it ends with like and what what comes next, like nothing, and that's that's the extent of it. And I think that was the part where I was most attached uh, or drawn to Amanda, and that's really all we got. Very little depth there, and Maud, I think. The most interesting part is uh, about Maude is how she reacts to uh, the incident from her previous job and what it's doing to her. And I think the only time that part is really highlighted is, you know, when she is, as you described, Zach, like seeing how low she can go. and I actually thought that was the most interesting part of the movie. Even if I, even if the specifics there weren't particularly inspired, like I, you know, you see like, uh, you know, like having, you know, f- feeling guilty or you know having a bad reaction to something in your past, and then going and like having sex with strangers isn't you know new or or particularly inspired. But uh, the force behind that, I think, was the most is the most compelling part about mod. And I wish we had seen more of that and we didn't need to know anything more than we than we learned about the past um but i i think it should have focused more on just her spiraling out of control because i think that's uh in in the self-contained uh time frame that's the most interesting part about her so we really just focus on elements uh that i think were were less important and that's a tough way to, to build and connect with characters. I think it's me- too that that section is also the only section that's freed from this crutch of the religion craziness. I, I don't know if this was this happened to you guys, but it seemed to me like the entire first half of this movie 
while she's in employment with Amanda feels completely uninterested in what's happening with the characters and more interested in saying like, oh, what's going on with her like self-harm? What is going on with her like craziness? And it was basically me waiting to go like, oh, like this movie better have some crazy ending because that's what all of this is projecting for me. And this entire like first 40 minute section is just sort of a wash, you know? I want to, yeah, I want to bounce off that because I think you're spot on. I think both of you are. I ha- There was a quote I read, um, uh, credit to Kevin Yang on uh, on Letterboxd. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start quoting and uh, shouting out people on Letterboxd. So Kevin Yang, if you're ever listening, uh, you know, come on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but he said, uh, ra- but rather than getting deep into the psyche of its characters so we understand the horror, it oftentimes elects to hit more shallow, elevated horror bullet points on an aesthetic level instead. I think you can extend that quote to talk also about the religious aspect. And I agree. I think we're, I think we're all in the same sphere here. It, what would have been much more interesting is to try to get deep into these characters, how they're feeling, how they're dealing with things. I, you know, I agree with Kale. We don't need to know about the past we don't need to know what the exact circumstances you know all that stuff but no exactly but what we need was what i thought were the better moments in the film too where i I agree with caleb that 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 the scenes where she was you know in essence self-harming through you know sex and everything like that it's not new or original but it is powerful in the sense that we're seeing her fail to completely you know fully grasp and deal with her past and I I think it would have been a lot more interesting to get that depth to those characters um I don't know how much I disliked the amount of religion because at the end of the day that's you know the I, I, I don't hate it. I think she has a good reason to become so obsessed with religion. I think she, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I wish there was more depth into understanding these characters. And there's glimpses of that, but there's not enough. I think my issue isn't with the religion per se, because I find like, religion and then like faith and stuff like that very interesting it's the way that the movie from like the very first frame seems to use supernatural religion as a cop-out for everything that happens that sort of takes away the realism and the gravity of everything that's happening essentially the moment the movie starts so what's an what's an example of like i'm just trying to understand what you're saying so Uh, uh oh i'm honestly I honestly don't remember. <laughs> like, what about, okay, like, let's talk about the scene that, with Amanda, the final scene with Amanda. Do you have an issue with that whole sequence? Yes, but at that point, it already lost me. Okay, like, so let's go earlier. Let's go. Like, like, the very first minute of the movie. What Like, from the very, like, from, I would say... Isn't there stuff where, like the, like the essentially the prologue, where there's like she is she isn't she like praying and like blood is dripping down and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, she's in the corner. It's a, we're assuming moment where I sort of figured, oh, 
this is going to be a religious fanatic supernatural movie that I sort of at a certain point also as she started self-harming and I started ratcheting up I started going oh like this is the type of movie it is you know what I mean yeah I'm a, I'm a little confused I mean I understand kind of what you're saying so you're saying with the prologue, I mean, the prologue is, is obviously assumed to be the traumatic event that happened to her. We don't know the circumstances. It seems like she was trying to give maybe CPR or something to a pay. I, I have no idea. I mean, I also, by the end of the film, you, you, I mean, even throughout the film, you realize that what you're seeing, you don't really know if it's happening or not. Like you can't tell how much is true or not. So I, I'm, I'm, what do you, what do you mean in terms of like the prologue setting up that? Because I mean, besides, I mean, she was sitting in the corner with blood on her hands, you know, looking up at the bug on the ceiling, but I, I didn't see anything supernatural. Down, I think it comes down to the movie. Uh, uh, oh, I'm explaining this very poorly. Caleb, do you have any idea what I'm saying? Maybe. A different, a different angle to come from is to say that maybe this movie would have been better, a lot better, if it had just been a straightforward character study about somebody uh, traumatized by a past event and what that's and what that is doing to them. That that real event that occurred and, and the real effects it is having, rather than looking at that event through maybe real, maybe not real you know, supernatural lens, a, a horror lens, uh, a, a religious lens that kind of excuses this behavior or, you know, definitely muddies it and and just makes the whole thing feel a little more opaque and... It feels a little cheap. Cheap. Well, if you take it away, my question is, if you take that away, doesn't that lose a lot of the motive, her motivations? What about, I mean, everything with Amanda... Uh, or, you know, the entire, I mean, let's, I mean, we'll get to the ending, you know, her ultimate decision. Um, I, like, like, to, like, I guess my thing is you can get to her fanaticism without having to rely on surreal, like, self-harm and sur all these, like, surreal things happening to her. You don't need the, like, glowing wings, like, and all that, like, and the way, like, the way it, I don't know, is the way it did that felt like such a cop out to me. I don't know. It felt like it was okay. using like stylistic tricks as a well, like as a yeah as like a crutch to not actually delve into anything. I'm I'm interested in that idea. I don't think you're wrong. Um, it by any means. Me a little of um, Rosemary's Baby and that movie. Uh, Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes move into an apartment, and as Mia Farrow is having her baby all these crazy things start happening where she thinks that there is this conspiracy against her and like that her husband is and their like next door neighbors are all trying to like do something to harm her baby and there's and um i don't want to spoil I, this is about to spoil the end of the movie but something happens at the end of the movie that um which, which movie? I'm sorry, which movie? Rosemary's Baby. Okay, sorry, go ahead. I, 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 you I can, just go ahead. Just go, If you really yeah, want I mean, it, if it's important, go ahead. It's revealed that every single person in the entire apartment complex and the city is in an evil religious cult and that the baby that she is about to like birth 
is actually like Satan himself. And every single person in the apartment is, um, is explained by essentially being a Satan worshiper. And in it's that sort of ending that's so cheap that it retroactively like devalues every single legitimate moment of paranoia before it. Like, like there are ways to uh, like, like this movie is already subjective. It doesn't need that sort of, in this case, it's religion. In Rosemary's Baby's case, it's this cult of like demon babies to try to justify it or make it more interesting in like a stylistic or in like a, like a fantastical lens. And I felt like, I, I felt like, I'm, I'm forgetting the specific moments, but I felt like I got that same exact vibe that I got from the end of that movie in the beginning of St. Maude, like right off the bat. So I, what I'm under, but here's the thing. I mean, I've never seen Rosemary's Baby. What I'm trying to see is, I, I mean, because the connection, what I'm hearing is in Rosemary's Baby, that was all real. Like they were really in a cult, blah, 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 blah et cetera. But in this film, I think it's pretty safe to believe none of the supernatural things are real. Like, the the her floating doesn't happen the whole devil scene thing where amanda is freaking out and saying she's damn you know all this crazy stuff that you know you, she doesn't believe in her faith that strongly that's I, I my interpretation was that everything that's happening and i think it's very easily hinted by the film and in fact the final shot is that this is all happening in in her head you know and i i mean maybe you can say okay that's the cop out but I mean, let, let's just talk about the ending, you know, the ending, you know, she feels, and it, it was, you know, going on for a while where she... I watched the movie differently because the first, when I was watching this, I originally thought the prologue was a flash forward. And I was like, oh, that's something that's going to happen later in the movie instead of like a, like a, like a preview for what oh. And then um, in terms of the ending and everything like that, I guess I just I originally just took it sort of at face value, just like identification with the main character. I was like, oh, like, sure, this stuff is happening. There's like some reality to what she's saying, and then there's like no, there's no real um, like middle ground between her having some like sense of correctness to what she's seeing and her being absolutely crazy. Um, you're so you're like, right there. Like, yeah, you're right. There's nothing, there's just nothing there. And I wasn't interested in any of these characters enough to be interested in anything that was happening at all. So I, I, I never believed, I mean, especially after a while, I never believed that anything she was seeing or hearing eventually, I mean, you hear that what sounds like to me more like a, the devil than the God's voice. Um, all the stuff that's happened to her, I imagine it happening in her, essentially in her head. And, you know, the whole stabbing thing, you know, it made, and it made me think, oh, you know, maybe the last time, you know, that that happened. Oh, no, well, she wasn't religious then. So I don't know. Uh, you know, to me, what, what finally made me realize, okay, a lot of this was just made up in her head. It was that final shot, which I still thought was done very well. I, I thought it was very nice. Um, you know, she, she goes to the beach. She, uh, you know, pours... I guess like what gasoline, alcohol, whatever on herself. 
um, and sets herself on fire. But there's a shot, you know, where everyone around her is getting on their knees and it looks like they're praying. And it looks like she's a sacrifice, you know, like she's, she's going into heaven all beautifully. You see her, like a shot of her face and she's like all happy as she's burning. And then there's a quick shot of her like charred skin as she's really burning alive and she's screaming. And to me, that was the nail in the coffin. It was like, all right, well, the, the girl is just crazy. I mean, everything she thought, everything she saw, you know, the the the, the devil in it, Amanda, you know, Amanda was just probably having a conversation and then she started hallucinating or whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, is that not what you took away or are you just saying, even if that's true, it's it still was a cop out? Who cares? Yeah, that's the main thing. Like I, I, fl- I flipped the moment essentially that, um, the moment she, um, she got, uh, she was unemployed as Amanda told her, like, like probably like forty minutes in, like, oh, like you believe in this too much, like none of this is real. Yeah. And then further when the friend comes in, and I, I just didn't care. Like I, at a certain point, I also projected like, oh, like if this is happening, then yeah like this movie is called saint mod like she is going like she's not surviving and at a certain Mm -hmm. point it just became very clear what was going to happen and i just didn't care nor was it if it wanted to go for something like sensationalist nor is it very i don't know not that this would have been a good idea but it's not very i didn't find it very shocking either just because of how I don't know how predictable it was. I mean, I guess that's fair. Um, I, like I said, I already commented on the fact that I do believe that that lack of, you know, maybe I, was, I would say I was probably a little bit, I cared a little bit more. And that's not to say there's any reason to that. It just, you know, we all view things differently. I think what could have made maybe you guys care more and even me is maybe more meaningful uh, dialogue between Amanda and Maud, more meaningful exploration of Maud's trauma slash her psyche, you know, what's going on, how is she dealing with trauma, uh, even what Caleb said, you know, a more in-depth look at how Amanda's dealing with, you know, the end of her days and her, you know, cancer and all this stuff. I don't know. Maybe that would have sucked you guys in more, made you care more, maybe not. Um, you know, I could that could just be you know, an idea. Let me just say this. Um, I just have a few comments and then we can, you know, like see what you guys want to say and then we can round this out. Um, I think on the surface, I think this movie is very, very uh, good to look at. I, I love some of the shots. Um, there was one in particular. Sure, it might be, I, again, I haven't seen many horror movies. Maybe it's a very stereotypical shot, but the one where I'm trying to remember this scene, I think it was after she had sex yeah it was after she had sex with the guy she's coming there's like this you can the camera is way out mostly darkness around the screen just the staircase and it's kind of sideways and turning and stuff i don't know i like some of the shots in the film i thought it was pleasant to look at personally um i thought there was just like a lot of different things where it was just like kind of twisting mods reality you know she almost couldn't tell or, I mean, she fully believed it, you know, the, the swirling thing that kept popping up the, like in the clouds in the, in the sink and the, you know, all that stuff. Um, I thought the score was pretty, pretty solid. 
Um, I don't know if it was anything special, but I thought it was good. Um, I enjoyed the, you know, themes of loneliness, of uh, self-harm, you know, or self-trauma and how that affected her. I wish it was explored more. Um, I didn't mean like I enjoyed self-harm. That sounded weird. Um, Yeah, overall, I I don't know. I I thought it was... (sighs) I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed the film. I'll be honest. I really did. Um, but maybe it was more surface level than, you know, deep. What do you guys have to say about any, is there any, any, any other thing, anything else you want to touch on any positives, any more negatives? It doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm, I'm curious what, what else is on your mind? <laughs> I'm not saying it like you guys are haters. I, I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Sorry. This movie feels like just like lazy art house horror trope string together one after another. Like, oh, there's the like crisp style with the brooding score, and oh, of course, at a certain point, the camera's gonna flip upside down because her reality is like shifting, and then, oh, what are we gonna do? We're gonna plop these two characters um, who have a weird relationship. And of course she's religious. And of course she has some trauma, but we're not really gonna delve into it. They're just these foils as we follow sort of this generic, is she crazy or is she religious plot line? I guess that was my general, I, I guess. And because it just felt so empty to me, just like, I, I just didn't, I just, it just never grabbed me, I guess. And it was boring. Yeah, the f- yeah, I thought it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree good. with that. I disagree. I mean, but that's also to each his own. I thought the first half struggled at times, but I thought especially the latter half, uh, to me, moved pretty quickly, um, and entertained me. But that's subjective, you know. I don't. Uh, I don't think you. Uh, See, at at the beginning, uh, Zach, mm-hmm. you. You, you said that you thought there was a, a lack of payoff, right? And I agree. I agree and I, I still think there is. Yeah. And then, all right, so so the ending, you know, feels a little flat. We've discussed how the first 40 minutes kind of amounts to nothing. Then you have a little section in the middle, which I thought was, uh, uh, had the most merit. But I didn't really think that section contributed to the ending it's it's, it's about, like an interlude between yeah, two religions. it's about her going down but i don't think that her going down actually prompted her uh her 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 stricter return to religion i think that's just kind of something that happens in the movie and it didn't really feel motivated by her you know having sex with random people so i think that was just like a little vignette that was fascinating and as the most fascinating part of the movie, it didn't really play into the overall narrative. Then afterwards, she, she you know, devotes herself more completely to religion. You have that fight, which is whatever. You have the ending, which has a nice final shot. But again, it, it lacks payoff. So then where in this movie, you know, do you feel like, man, like this was really exciting or insightful or... Where 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 is where's the greatness here? To me, it's only in a section that doesn't contribute to the overall story. 
Yeah, I mean, I won't say this movie is a, you know, Oscar award-winning film, or nor is it what I would consider greatness. But uh, I, 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 you know, I, I think to me, there was some payoff. There wasn't. I like look. I, besides, I can appreciate. Obviously, I can appreciate things on a surface level. I can appreciate that. I like the dark cinematography. You know, I can I can talk about all those things. But when it comes down to it. I personally, and maybe this is because I haven't seen many of these films, so I haven't seen the this trope or this this uh, you know be used over and over and over again. Um, this is really my first time dealing with a what I would say this conflict between religion and psychosis. This idea of you know, sure, you know, I, there's plenty of movies of like, oh, is what you're seeing actually happening? You know, it's, this isn't my first radio with that. But I, I, I enjoyed personally her descent into complete madness. I mean, like, I, I mean, like, look, I mean, I think a lot of your points are, are very valid and I agree with them. And I and I, I think, uh, you know, I watched this with Shauna and she also didn't care for it at all. You know, and she's big into horror films. She loves horror films, religious horror films and didn't walk away with much feeling of sense, you know, completeness or gratification. Um, what I can say is. I, you know, I enjoyed both the times where she was alone processing and dealing with her descent into, you know, madness or what she considered the, you know, religious awakening slash, you know, her, her call to God or whatever. I, I enjoyed those moments and I don't know. I mean, that's all I can say. I, 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 the reason the first half didn't hold me as much was because, wasn't too much of that. I, I enjoyed this weird connection between God and sexuality. You know, the, the, uh, this, the hard pulsating feeling inside her. I, I, I was intrigued by it. I liked it. Did it lack depth? Yes. Did, was the payoff weaker because it lacked depth? Yes. And, and that's, that's what I will say. Yeah, um, I don't know if I would call myself um, a disciple of this movie. <laughs> I have to say one thing before we give our final reviews, which we pretty much said our piece. Um, I do have to say I saw the most clever, the cleverest, most clever. Which one is the right one? Actually, I'm a college student. I should know this. <laughs> what did you say? What did he say? Cleverer. Clever. Cleverer. The most clever letterbox review I saw was just a few simple words. And I quote, portrait of a lady on fire. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. I'm sure it's not as good as portrait of a lady on fire, which I have still not seen, but I thought it was clever. Overall. Lord's name in vain. Yeah. <laughs> overall, let me say this about St. Maud. Um, I thought that. It held my attention. I was invested a little bit in um, Maud's connection with religion and her ultimate fall into madness. I enjoyed a lot of the shots. I thought they were very beautiful and very captivating, especially the last one, which was both disturbing, but also beautiful when she is, you know, surrounded by people uh, praying to God as she's being lifted into the heavens or whatever. I enjoyed it. Um, so I will say St. Maud, three and a half stars. Um, yeah, not a fan. Um, uh, 
yeah just never grabbed me I think I just mentioned my letterbox review just like I didn't think it was necessarily totally boring but I was just completely like like uninterested the entire runtime of this movie for the reasons stated in the past 30-40 minutes so two stars I think this movie would be far more interesting without the supernatural element. Uh, I think if if this movie did not have that, then it would be forced to confront head on uh, the trauma that Maud faces and the uh, impending death that Amanda faces, but. Here, the supernatural forces exist to kind of cover up those issues and obscure any clarity, any insight that we might uh, receive from this movie or should receive. And also, I think that if this movie did not have the A24 brand attached to it, it would not be receiving the uh, acclaim that it is. I give Saint Maud one and a half stars. All right. Well, let's move into uh, a little bit of a different direction. Caleb, would you like to introduce Judas and the Black Messiah? More than anything. <laughs> In Judas and the Black Messiah, Lakeith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill, uh, a car thief who gets caught and whom the FBI uses as a confidential informant to infiltrate the Black Panthers and ultimately assassinate their leader of the Chicago chapter, Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, Along the way, we uh, follow the Black Panther group, Hampton, as he uh, unites uh, several groups around Chicago and uh, O'Neill as he has to come to terms with ultimately uh, being responsible for at least some of the uh, Panthers' downfall and uh, Hampton's death. All right. Caleb? Putting you on the spot. What's your honest opinion of this film? So, quick summary. You don't have to. You don't have to go into super depth. What is your opinion of this film? Uh, I think that it needs more character work. Uh, I think it struggles because you don't get true insights into uh, O'Neill or Hampton. It's it's all pretty superficial and. Uh, O'Neill's place in the story is so narrative driven, yet doesn't feel like he has the biggest impact. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird to put him at the center of the story as written. Um, I think it, there's, there's this trend in biopics to look at the, f- the main figure in question here, Hampton, through the eyes of uh, somebody else, whether it's here uh, a, a CI or oftentimes like an interviewer, somebody along for, for a journey. And um, yeah, I just wish we had learned more about 
Hampton and O'Neill as people, because uh, that's that's the thing that left me a little cold. There, there is a. Um, I want to ask you guys one question in a second, but I will say there is a. I, I don't want to say a common theme among biopics. I mean, this is a biopic in essence, right? I mean, excuse me, this is a biopic, right? In in some. I guess kind of it, it like blurs a line between biopic and like narrative thriller about more of, I mean, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's like a, it's like a person infiltrating the like person infiltrating a group thriller genre. Well, I will say that I do think with this movie lined up against those in that genre, I think this is more successful but still lacks the same things that Caleb was talking about. I will like, I, I think, I don't know if it's good to praise a movie for being better than it's, you know, similar, but still lacking in some key aspects, but I'm going to say it anyways. Let me ask you this question, both Caleb and Eric, just one word. Now you could do more than one word. I don't, I don't care, but quick answer. Would this film be better if it was a biopic focused around Fred Hampton? Uh, not necessarily. Probably, though I, I, like, I like the idea of making O'Neill a central figure. I think uh, executing that idea better would create the best movie. Uh, but focus and I a biopic that just focuses on Hampton and really delves into him would probably still be better than what we got. Yeah, I mean the entire like even even just like glancing through the story, I think it's pretty clear that the main like emotional like conflict of the movie, the internal conflict, is within Lakeith Stanfield's Bill O'Neill. So I hundred percent. I mean. First of all, I do have to say both of them gave, in my opinion, superb performances. Who did you like better? Um, who did I like better? I mean, it's got to be as much as I have to say that I really loved Lakeith Stanfield's performance. I thought uh, Daniel, is it Kaluuya? Yeah. I thought he did an f- amazing job as Fred Hampton. I thought he... If you want, they had a few clips in the film, but if you've ever seen any Fred Hampton footage, he's such a captivating speaker. And I I love the way he talks. It's so interesting to me. And he's got such an amazing voice. And I think Daniel Kalua did an excellent job portraying him personally. That's what I think. I think Lakeith Stanfield, I think they both did a great job, but I really loved, I think there was more, well, let me say this. I think there was more depth given to Bill O'Neill's character because he was the central figure. I think very, you know, very middle, late in the movie, you know, you really start getting the uh, the idea that he's struggling with this, you know, like how much he, you know, he's starting to really get into actually liking what he's doing with the Black Panthers. And there's a big internal struggle, which I actually don't think is explored enough personally. Um, I think there's a, you know, a huge internal struggle there. I think Fred Hampton's character doesn't get enough attention, but I still think Daniel uh, Kaluuya gives a better performance. Do you guys, what do you guys think? 
Um, I like Lakeith Stanfield's more just because I, I think he he had he just had the meteor role. Um, yeah, I like Kaluuya's performance as well. I I think with Kaluuya, he also got sort of um, shortchanged in the sense that I, I don't know, I felt like this movie watered down a bit um, the political aspect of um, a lot of uh, like Fred Hampton's work just like it definitely went pretty hard on like the all cops are bad stance that he had but i i feel like it never really fully touched on um his like socialism and his left-leaning politics in the sort of like confrontational way that i wanted it to and in that sense i was a little disappointed but that's not necessarily kaluuya's fault Uh, i i I, just so you know i agree with that but yes you were just saying yeah um yeah, that's my general take. And in terms of the structure of the movie, like, yeah, like at a certain point, Kaluuya is literally like gone. Like he's in prison. Like, yeah, like twenty to thirty minutes. That's just focused on Stanfield, right? I guess I'm trying to think of it just in terms of. I understand it's hard, you know, maybe because of the battle weight given to the character and such and all that. I don't know, uh, Caleb. You got what are your what is your opinion? Uh, they were both very good. I I liked Stanfield a little more, but. Uh... Yeah, they're both very nice. I, I think what, what Sandfield, Sandfield's performance is heartbreaking in a way that makes you feel like there's more to O'Neill's character than what is written. Uh, while I don't think Kaluuya necessarily uh, transcended the material he was given in the same way. Yeah, I mean, I I think, I, I don't know. I just think it was... I, I, Personally, I think it was, you know, you know, Eric kind of said it already. I think it was because of the material given, but I also understand what you're saying. Either way. Is, is, is just more internalized. That's also part, partially just given what the character is, but I, I like that about him. It's like he brings the energy and the like passion to, a, to essentially a role where um, he's just like, moral dilemma like personified <laughs> yeah let's let's start at the let's start at the beginning of the film um do you guys feel as though there was uh did you like the fact that there wasn't and this is you know very simple by no means is this a huge part but do you like the fact that you're not really there's not like very quickly he's kind of thrown into the role uh, you know, there's not a lot of scenes at the beginning of him discussing with uh, Jesse Plemons' character. Who, uh, dude, shout out Jesse Plemons! Like, did this man's career just suddenly like explode? He's getting a he's he's starring in um, the North the new Scorsese movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I just I think we obviously if we can't mention this movie without mentioning him. Um, he just has this cold demeanor to his characters that is both like deeper than you realize but so so it just seems so sin i don't know i did you guys i don't know this a quick tangent did you like his performance and his character or did you feel like there was a lack of depth there good performance yeah i i thought it was i thought it was i thought it was fine i thought it was pretty good Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, do you like how the movie throws you into things, um, you know, without giving you a super long kind of interaction between, you know, Bill O'Neill and Roy Mitchell and everything? I mean, it pretty within 
everything happens really fast and there's not a lot i feel like stereotypically in the in the scenes in in movies where you're having you know someone infiltrate a group there's a lot of like precursor a lot of like empty space and i kind of like that it was instead focused on what was happening in the group almost always like when they jump in like that because scenes that uh feel like or just simply are purely exposition are usually bad and uh it's best to eliminate those and just get to the good stuff and trust your audience to uh pick up on things and trust your audience to uh, understand clues that are shown and don't need to be told. Yeah, I thought it was pretty exciting. I thought it was, yeah, um, just the speed of it all, just um, it definitely captures that sort of idea of Bill O'Neill essentially being thrown into um, his role as an FBI uh, rat. Let me ask you guys a quick question. I know I'm kind of bouncing around. If you had to give the Oscar for Beck's Picture to two movies, one of two movies, ready? Oscar, Best Picture, whatever. It could just be which one you like more. Between this film and Trial of the Chicago 7, which one is a better film? This film. Not Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah. What is this film? I know, like, very different. No, no, no. I, you're not hurting my feelings what what does this film do that is successful very different films different premises facing similar issues of you know racial equality um much deeper in this is obviously more uh class struggle and i mean i mean you can go on and on about the ideas in this film what what does this do successfully that other films within the same realm don't do For one, I found this one entertaining. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) That was the greatest thing I've ever heard Eric say. Just from the fact that this is like, this is like a slice of history that's sort of been erased from the high school history books. And we're seeing with like great performances and some thrilling set pieces for, at least in my experience on screen for the first time. Um, I also think that like try we I don't want to talk too much about Trial of the Chicago yeah. Seven. We did an episode about it, but that movie we talked about that one doesn't really feel like it has any internal conflict to it. It's so black and white. Um, but this movie definitely does a better job of showing that there is some sort of moral conflict while never actually like while never actually sacrificing any of its um like bluntness in like for example the like pure like evil of the FBI like Martin Sheen looks like looks like he looks like he looks undead in this movie like <laughs> and i think uh, <laughs> he does look undead in this movie yeah that's a good one sorry go ahead <laughs> uh, i think the black messiah also does a slightly better job than trial of the chicago seven in highlighting the life and effects of fred hampton yeah <laughs> okay now let me ask you again for a different different film i, I this is for, for for me you know i just for me what about comparing, they're, again, very different films. I know Eric doesn't care for it. Actually, I know both of you don't really care for this film too much. What do you think this movie does better, maybe you would say everything, than something like Black Klansman, where there's a similar idea of someone infiltrating a group, but yet very different, but also focuses on similar ideas. I'm just curious what you guys feel. 
I feel like they're very different movies. I I do I don't I don't hate but I like I like Black Klansmen. Um I they're just different movies just from a genre perspective. Just Black Klansmen is more of a a satire that I, I think is a little more like winky and blunt than it needs to be, or is this just that not not that. This is just more played as like a thriller. I they're sort of hard to compare, um, but I, I like both of them. Yeah, I think the problem with Black Klansman, like Eric said, it's it's so so on the nose um, and just exhausts you with it's like you know look how funny I am, look how <laughs> relevant I am uh, ideas. Uh, while here, I think the problem just lies in that they they keep they keep you arm's distance from the heart of these characters uh and so uh i think both both movies are are entertaining i think the you know black Klansman has has a bit of a lighter tone this one like eric said it's more of a thriller and both mm-hmm. can, can entertain um but yeah both both a, a few gears away from breaking black so let's feels like it has like a like a panache mm-hmm. to it that i enjoy mm-hmm. um i agree with know, that to jump into this, I feel like my main problem with this movie as we've been sort of dancing around is that I don't think the movie necessarily really knows how it's supposed to divide the time between Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya. Um, like there are two clear storylines here, um, like Bill O'Neill with the FBI and everything going on with Fred Hampton and getting the various groups. And it's almost the sort of thing where they, where it's like, I I feel like they did just enough to make me very interested in both, but I, I don't feel like I ever got satisfied by either of them. I, that's that's the crux of it. I'll provide uh, an example of that, that I think highlights Eric's point. It also reinforces this idea that it's really kind of plays like a thriller where I believe a more dramatic or or character driven uh, story would have been more effective. Um, It's a movie, it's two hours long. There's a limited amount of time that we're gonna be able to spend with these characters. And in one scene, uh, Bill O'Neill has to prove to a couple Panthers uh, that he hotwired a car to steal it uh, when, in fact, uh, it was given to him by the FBI. So basically, he has to prove he's not a rat, and he does this by hotwiring a car. And this is a trope that you see all the time in thrillers or, or heist movies. Really, anyone where some any movie, any story where somebody is trying to infiltrate a group, you always have this one scene where they have to do something uh, to to so, uh, something spontaneous uh, that demonstrates their talents, and this will prove that they belong. And uh, and you know they're they're a member of the group. No way they they're a rat. And you, you've seen this so many times. And what does it add to the characters in general, uh, and especially here? I feel like nothing you don't learn anything uh about bill o'neill you get the 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 thriller convention toss in there maybe you know 
you get your heart racing for a little bit, even though, of course, it's inevitable that he, you know, starts the car and everything works out, uh, especially given how early in the movie this occurs. Uh, but I mean, like, I just wish it was that time was spent, you know, learning something about him uh, or, you know, a time dedicated later in the film to see him really undergoing the stress of, you know, throwing these these panthers into the fire or give even more detail on uh, his choice. I mean, not really his choice, but yeah, ultimately his choice to, to slip, uh, to slip Hampton, the sleeping agent that uh, allowed for his execution. So it's, it seems there are a bunch of scenes like that, that feel really narrative based uh, where I think more character work would have, greatly improved the picture i i I agree with you caleb i think obviously there's going to be time spent on the narrative but i I, you know i didn't even realize when you said that you made me think i was like you know what you're right and i was like when you're like what is it at i was like it didn't add anything i was like thinking about it i was like you know what i was like oh maybe well you know like maybe it made him a bit no no i really no really didn't i i do think there were some moments like that and i felt like there was some time that could have been better spent, like you said, focusing on the characters, which have very interesting lives. I mean, we're talking about someone who was one of the most famous slash infamous people in American history and had very interesting ideas and an interesting life. And there is, like you said, time spent on things like that that are more narrative-based rather than what would be more interesting is time spent picking apart the brain of Fred Hampton or even what's going on in, in Bill's head, you know, um, if that is, is that kind of what you're trying to say? Am I, did I, is yeah. that, okay. I, I, I understand that. And you know what? I almost feel like we have the same thing with several movies. And what I think I'm learning is like, I feel like we don't really ever criticize many movies for having too much character depth. You know what I mean? Or like too much character you know detail i feel like we are we constantly come back to this for the last three weeks i feel like where it's like these movies want you to be interested in these characters which i think this they i am interested in fred hampton i'm interested in bill o'neill but there's not enough there and i think we always come back to this i think a lot of films struggled to cross that line where they are really doing justice towards their characters. Um, that's just the only note I had to say about that. Um, what do you guys think is the most powerful or most, or just the best moment in this film? Is there a scene? Is there a period of time? Is there, is there something that you, for you is just like this? Yes, this is what the film should be. This, this moment, you know, I don't, I didn't know if there was anything like that. Cause you just mentioned a few scenes that were maybe like, not that, um, if you can't think of anything, I will not blame you. Uh, um, my favorite scene was uh, when uh, Hampton is giving a speech. Uh, O'Neill is standing um, mm. you know, with a bunch of Panthers. And then you have, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting to say, Jesse Plemons. Uh, uh, Roy, Roy something, Roy Williams? Uh, Roy, Roy Mitchell. So you have- Roy Mitchell. Yeah, so you have Hampton giving the speech, O'Neill standing with the uh, Panthers, you know, at the, the base of the stage, and uh, Mitchell 
in the audience, you know, kind of like spying, keeping tabs uh, on, on the event. And there are a bunch of cuts um, from O'Neill to Mitchell that I think are, are really chilling where, uh, where O'Neill has to pretend or maybe not pretend like who knows where his heart really lies that he's uh, really believes in what Hampton is saying and supports the cause of the Panthers while staying, you know, eyes focused on, on, on Mitchell and almost pleading with him. Like I'm, I'm just doing my job here. And then Mitchell at the same time uh, is cheering because he's, he's supposed to be like a, a guy who's fitting into this audience and, and believes in what Hampton's saying while at the same time kind of staring daggers at, uh, at, at O'Neill and saying like, um, I'm watching you. Uh, but I think this, without saying a single word, highlights perfectly uh, O'Neill's kind of inner struggle and um, how he has to play both sides at once. I think it's just a great, uh, a great depiction. If you're gonna like whittle, whittle his, his turmoil down to one moment, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, that would be it. I think it was just really chilling to watch him, you know, have to have to play both sides there. Yeah, I think it's the only moment where he's like actually like publicly caught in the middle. And I think that's what makes it such a thrilling scene. Um, I would also, um, yeah, that's also probably one of my favorite scenes. <clears throat> I thought, as we already discussed, I thought, I really liked the opening. I thought the opening was really thrilling. Um, and then the main punch for me in this movie was, it's not really a scene, but um, the, um, it, it was the documentary footage at the end of Bill O'Neill that I found really, really chilling. Um, just like the extension of the guilt and the internal conflict of this movie. Um, given just real historical weight. Um, I thought that was terrifying and really sad. Yeah, I think there's, you know, every biopic like film has that ending sequence, you know, with the, where they talk, you know, they, they plant you in reality with the text and maybe they put in footage, but I thought this was very well done, especially having the, that short clip of him. Um, because I was more intrigued after that and I ended up researching it more. And um, first of all, his real name is William. I guess he went by Bill maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, what's interesting is I, I was wondering how much of this film, like how they wanted to betray him, you know? And, you know, cause there's, uh, if you, if you uh, read about him, uh, this is, you know, there's a little tangent, but like he completely denied when he was alive that he ever drugged Hampton. Um, and there's just an interesting idea of like, like, what do you think? Is, is the movie, I, I guess maybe my answer is going to be a cop-out, but is the movie vilifying him? Is I mean, I don't think it's praising him. It's not being like, hooray, you killed Fred Hampton. But I don't, I don't think it's vilifying him either. And I think that's, pities him. that's the, like the, that's the line the movie wants to watch. You say, you say it pities him. Yeah. It's like, He's this character with this internal conflict. Um, like, you know he's bad, but in scenes like the one where Caleb mentioned where um, 
he is playing both sides or in the other or even in the other scene of him hot wiring the car you're like oh like you in like a weird sort of way you sort of sympathize with his struggle and you want him to succeed like that's the line the movie toes and i i actually think it toes it fairly well so let me ask you this though um, do you think the movie I, I guess this is hard to answer because you know none of us are history experts in terms of this subject but i when, when i was reading I, I saw some quotes by him talking about how he actually he said he felt like he was never he never really like he was never really that invested in the black panthers like he didn't really ever feel a part of it but the movie i think there's many scenes where you feel like he is really enjoying or really involved especially that scene after they burned down the headquarters where he is the one that kind of took a lot of initiative i mean do you think the movie is trying to overplay his moral dilemma i mean i'm not saying the guy was like perfectly okay with it um i i just you know i don't know maybe this is a a hard question to answer because at the end of the day we don't really know how he felt you know too much I don't know about the real life history, but uh, as far as cinematic choices, I think it's definitely the right one to make to make to invest him into the Panthers. Uh, that just builds more of that inner conflict. You know, if it's obvious that he doesn't care, then it's yeah your choice to betray. And I think you know part of what's interesting is in in any movie is when a hard choice has to be made versus an easy one. So let me ask you a quick question too, before we kind of wrap up and talk a little bit more about the film. You mentioned that, I mean, like we talked about the obvious moral and just conflict inside of uh, Bill O'Neill. Do you think there's any doubt? I, I you know, maybe we don't want to spend too much time talking about his character, but do you think there's any, is there any thought in your mind that maybe the FBI agent Roy Mitchell has any conflict within him? Or do you think his character is very much portrayed as, you know, do whatever is necessary. The reason I ask is because there's several scenes where there's more than just him and, uh, you know, the main character, Bill O'Neill, talking. There's also the one where he's in the FBI office and the uh, the director, J. Edgar Hoover, asks, um, would you ever, like, like, what would you do if your daughter came home with a black guy? And then there's also another scene where he's finding out that one of the other FBI agents is using a real murderer as a um, informant. There's a couple of scenes like that. Do you think there's ever any doubt that he is a hundred percent committed to this? Or do you think he also has a moral conflict or is it, do you even care? You know? I think by playing him off of, those FBI guys who appear worse, they're trying to invoke a little sympathy. Um, and you know, maybe he's not quote, as bad um, as, as the other guys are just as, uh, maybe his default isn't as brutal, but uh, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's- It's trying to make it a systemic really thing. Excuses. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, it's so funny because there's several movies. I mean, there's a movie about J. Edgar Hoover, which paints him in a much better light. Um, in this movie, really, really doesn't hold back on showing how terrible of a human being J. Edgar Hoover was. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that you have him, but then you have, you know, Roy Mitchell's character, 
where you think he's going to struggle with it more, but then ultimately he seems pretty chill about going about, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't know if that was also interesting to you at all. If you spent any time thinking, Oh, you know, I wonder if he, you know, how he feels about it or, you know, did he have some sort of conflict because ultimately didn't matter. Um, but I don't know. I just, I was just curious on your guys's opinion of that, but maybe well, it is just to provide some sort of balance. Like a cog in the system. Um, yeah. Because like- he's the only, he's the only cop quote unquote that is painted in a not completely negative light in the movie. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, sure. And I just didn't know if there is there anything to that, or is it just simply how they decided the character would be? Like, I just didn't know if there's anything more to that. I don't think it's trying to say, you know, oh, there's a good few apples in the bunch. But is it also trying to say, you know, that this wasn't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, that idea came in my head when I was watching it after the end. And I just was just curious what you guys thought. I guess, um, I guess in, in the good deal, it's like, it's like, it doesn't matter if there's good apples or bad apples. If the system is um, rotten system is, Ooh, if the system ooh. is rotten and they have like, and you need a front, you need sort of like a front facing like officer for this sort of job in the movie. All right. Any final thoughts before we get to our ratings? In a word? No. All right. Well, let's do it. Caleb, would you like to start us off? Oh, oh, oh. Um, yes. Um, some things we, or something I, I, I didn't mention, um, as far as real life stories being adapted to the, to the screen, I believe that, uh, everything should be self-contained. You shouldn't have to know, uh, the, the real life history of, of a historical movie to understand what's happening or to enjoy the movie. And uh, I think you should respect the choices that are put into the movie. And if they di- if you happen to know the story and they differ, uh, the, the real life and the cinematic uh, telling, uh, I think you should just really focus on what's in the story. So I take like, you know, a more structural uh, approach to to my to my watching like that however here uh one thing that i i couldn't help but uh notice fred hampton when he was killed was 21 years old uh and bill o'neill when he became an informant was 17 years old now, Daniel Kaluuya is going to turn 32 next month, and Lakeith Stanfield is, sorry, next week, uh, and Lakeith Stanfield is uh, 29. So it just got me thinking about how, uh, I think, how much more, how much untapped potential there is in this movie based on the casting, even though these guys gave terrific performances just imagining this scenario playing out and watching a 21 year old and a 17 year old uh, go through this would just, uh, I think that would add a whole another layer of just pure emotion um, 
I mean, it's because it, it's tough. It's a tough thing to to balance because these guys are great actors, and of course, on the business side, they're they're bigger names that are gonna, you know, get this movie a bigger budget and make more money. But uh, I don't know, just something that I've been thinking about. Um, anyway, to to wrap up, yeah, it all comes back to the characters. One more thing about uh, O'Neill. Again, I feel like he was treated as as a narrative device more more often than as a character you know as we were talking about that uh uh the the jump starting the car scene and that, that just just it just is too big of a problem to to overlook i think even even by the very end even though he's treated as a narrative device he doesn't feel as integral to the story as he should uh and as he would if he was treated more as a character. At, at the very end, uh, Mitchell makes him draw a blueprint uh, to to Hampton's uh, to to Hampton's home, so the FBI can can come in and and kill him. But I don't think that it really matters. The FBI busts in with like a dozen agents and you know automatic weapons. Like they're not following the blueprint. They're they're going into just guns a blazing, shooting everybody and and going through the entire house and making sure the right people are dead. Uh, so, you know, even by the, the end, even though he was treated as a narrative device, he doesn't end up being so important to the narrative, which I think is why it is crucial uh, that he be immersed as, as a true character, which of course he's not. Uh, I give Judas and the Black Messiah three stars. All right. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed our discussion. I thought this was, uh, you know, a great way to kind of pick apart different aspects of the film. Uh, I loved all the performances overall. Um, again, uh, I just, I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm kind of a sucker for these type of films though. Um, maybe Hollywood just knows how to hold me with these kind of half biopic, half narrative focused things. I don't know. Um, but Overall, I found myself very captivated by Fred Hampton's character and uh, and Bill O'Neill. I agree with Caleb, though. I wish there was more. Um, I wish there was a little bit more in-depth into both of them, uh, specifically Fred Hampton. Uh, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, otherwise, I think this film is very successful. It does. I know this is not a big deal. I just think the title is great. I love the title. I mean, I, it just is... It's so I, I I've just never sat thinking about a film's title, which it's not that deep. Like I'm not trying to say like, oh, I understand it on a deep level, but it's just like it's a great title. And that's all I'm gonna say. So with that, Judas and the Black Messiah, four stars. Yeah, um, I I enjoyed this movie. Um, I enjoyed seeing this history on screen. I enjoyed the performances. I thought the ending was pretty harrowing. Um and I guess I'm just going to echo what I think a lot of us have been saying. Um, I, I sort of ended up a little unsatisfied just wishing it had gone further, whether it was the characterization as we've been talking about or things that um, like um, Hampton's political leanings or as Caleb just added to our discussion, um, things like the age of these characters and perhaps highlighting their youth and the tragedy of that. Um, and I, I guess in that sense, I ended up a little unsatisfied, but um, I would definitely say this is 
a movie worth seeking out and um i'm excited to see how this movie fares in awards season um with that three stars yeah well before we end the podcast uh any any nominations you think yeah for this film what do you what do you think what would you but daniel you think lakeith gets any no no that's it then one nomination i think okay i think is getting kalia is getting the like support no uh no director no best i mean probably not best picture for sure um i could see it caleb you, you, you think anything yeah maybe a best picture nomination i don't think it'll win but... you think uh you think daniel might win think he could win um i don't really know what he's up against i guess it's been a um we'll have to see uh yeah. we'll have to see uh how how the narrative shapes up but i think he could win interesting yeah i don't know i um, i don't think this movie you know we i i don't think it's very do you would you consider this movie oscar Beatty in any way shape or form maybe a little bit or not at all I wouldn't consider it Oscar bait. Uh, I would consider it more just it follows traditional studio, uh, traditional studio like movie archetypes. If that makes sense, like I, yeah. like I feel like it's only Oscar bait if it's bad. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, like that's fair. That follows traditional like that follows traditional structures, but it has it has more to it, and I I think it's well done. Yeah. Well. Uh, with that, it's uh, it's been a great episode. Uh, enjoyed talking about these two films, and uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and we will see you next time. <laughs>